All right, so we'll go ahead and get started. That way I can get you out of here on time. If you need to get up and go to the restroom, feel free to do that. Um, whatever you need to do is fine. Um, sometimes I talk too much, sometimes I talk too little. I always say, like, I can give you a paragraph what I can say in 10 pages. So we'll just see what happens. We're just going to roll with it today and see what happens. So I wanted to introduce myself a little bit. I didn't think to bring pictures of my family. Like last night, I was like, oh, that would have been a good idea. But trust me, I do have a family. Uh, come on in. Welcome. There's a little worksheet right there. Um, so my name is Josie. Uh, I come from uh, Seal Beach, California where I go to church, so it was a fun uh, drive yesterday, getting here. I gps it like a couple days before, had said seven hours, and I'm like, seven hours in the car sounds dreadful. Um, but it only took us, I think it took us about five hours. Uh, there was a little bit of a stop. And then um, no one told me that the drive up was going to be a nightmare. <laughs> so I think I'm moving in because I don't want to drive back down. <laughs> So I'm hoping there's a cabin that I can move into because I don't know how I'm getting home tomorrow. The Lord's going to have to figure that one out because I don't want to go to my eternal home. I want to go to my earthly home. And so we just figure it out. We just figure it out. It'll be great. It'll be great. Um, so um, I, like I was saying, I do have a family as well. I am married. Uh, I've been married for 28 years. I know, I don't look it, right? <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, I really feel it. Um, and um, we always say that no one made it on the news, so that's a really good thing. No headlines were made, and so that's a good thing. Uh, my husband's name is Joey, and we have three children. We have a son whose birthday is actually today, and it's my first birthday I've ever missed. So he's 27. He'll be okay. <laughs> I, I don't think he even knows. Uh, yeah, right. Am I okay? I was like, I'm missing it. And he's like, oh, okay, mom. I didn't make any plans with you. Whatever. Uh, so he's 27. We have another son. His name is Ben, and he's 22. And I get to, my daughter accompanied me with uh, today. And uh, her name is Katie. She's in the back. She's 17. Uh, she is uh, the great prize after uh, two uh, strong battles of boys. Uh, no, we are very excited and blessed by what the Lord has done in our lives in giving us amazing kids and just a chance to live life and get to know him in the midst of our journey. So this morning we're going to talk about endurance, and there's a couple of things that I'm going to share with you. I feel like I need to give a trigger warning, like this might stir up some things, and that's okay. This is the place for it. You are in a safe space. Um, and I'm not here to fix your problem, but I am here to point you to the one who can. And that's Jesus. And he is with us, and we are going to talk a little bit about him. And hopefully this will give you some time to really marinate in what he is doing in your life. And I'm going to share with you my story. I love to tell stories. That's my favorite thing to do. I just feel like I love to hear a good story. So if I can tell a good story, maybe you'll stay with me a little bit longer. There's worksheets right there, ladies, on the sides. Um, and I'm going to um, talk about the art of endurance. And I love an acronym uh, because I'm, my mind, I'm very simply minded. And so the easier it is for me, the better. So if I can remember one word, that will help me kind of stay more consistent in the things that I do. 
I was going to include, you can see on your paper what the arts of endurance are. I was going to include faithful, but that wouldn't have worked. That was bad. So I was like, oh, that might offend someone. I'm going to apologize. I totally have the humor of like a 12-year-old. So I am sorry. I am going to apologize. Jesus still loves me. Um, and so we're going to dig into some scriptures. We're going to interact. We're going to have some time to take inventory of our own race and what we're running right now. And then we're going to kind of have some time to pray for one another. I want to incorporate that as well. And so let's just see what happens. How does that sound? You guys okay with that? All right. So I want to transport you back to 1989. Now, I know that some of you in this room were not born yet. That does not escape me because it scares me. But 1989, if we can just picture it, think of this. You have perms in your hair. You got the scrunchy socks. You got the bright colored clothing. The World Wide Web had just been invented. The Berlin Wall came down and I don't know if you can picture where you were that year, but I was 14 years old, and I was a freshman in high school. And I know that you're doing the math to try to figure out how old I am. <laughs> I know, because I know some of you are like, mm, 1989. I'm 48, so I'll just be really honest, because that will just stop the, the brain from trying to do some math. And because you know my weight, I feel like I should, I'm sorry, because you know my age, I feel like I should share my weight as well. But I think some mysteries belong to the Lord. So we're just going to let him uh, know what that is. Um, and at that young age, I was getting a crash course on endurance. I'd lost my mother three years earlier. And I was really trying to get through life the very best that I could. My dad had kind of checked out. I don't have any siblings. And so I clung to the only thing that I knew, the only thing that was tangible to me, and that was Jesus. You see, my mom's death wasn't sudden. She was working on her own endurance journey. And when you're young, you don't have the capacity to hold all of those things. You can't understand that pain won't always be there. You can't understand that one day you'll learn to live with the suffering that you have endured. The only thing that at 11 years old I understood was fear. And it was the fear of the unknown. And it was the fear of forgetting my mom. And it was the fear of dying. See, I honestly believe that the day my mother died, I would die too. I believe that at 11 years old. And it almost seemed like an easy solution. It's over. It's done. And then the dreaded day came. I was in sixth grade. It was a rainy Monday afternoon. And the superintendent of the school called me to his office. And I remember, if you remember back in the old days, <laughs> there's still a telephone in the classroom, but they would call you like on speaker into the, yeah, like so everybody knew your business. 
It was super. And they're like, can you send Josie to the office? And all the kids are like, ooh. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, I, I mean, I couldn't think of what I'd done wrong, but clearly something was wrong. So I walked myself down to the office, and it was a good distance from my classroom. And they walked me in, and our superintendent was the pastor of the, of, it was a Christian school, so he was the pastor of the church. And he came in, he, he sat across from me, and he said, your mother died. There was no warm-up. There was no, let's lead into it. Let me hold your hand. Let me pray for you. There was none of that. It was just like, you're kind of expecting it, so this is it. This is what happened. She's gone. And then he sent me back to class. And I remember that walk so vividly. It's been 37 years, guys, but there's certain things that just kind of imprint us. And I remember that walk so vividly, and I, I just felt numb. And, and I didn't, I just kind of was in this bubble. I didn't know um, what was going to happen. And again, because I'm old, there was a little boy outside clapping the erasers, we used to have these old antiquated things. Guys, for you who are young, they were called blackboards. And you had to erase them, the chalk, and the chalk would get dust. So he was out there clapping the erasers. It was the greatest thing. It got you out of class. It was really magical. And he was like, hey, are you in trouble? I'm like, no, my mom died. And I kept walking, like, just like nothing had happened. And you know what? Something miraculous happened that day. I wasn't in trouble. My life hadn't ended like I thought it would. And even though I didn't know it yet, I'd been placed on the racetrack and the starter gun had gone off. And I was 11. And maybe that's your story. I don't know what your story is, but you're on the racetrack. And maybe this race is your fifth race. And maybe it's your 400th race but you're on the racetrack because we are all there. And running is a really isolating sport. Now, I know that I look like I run, but I don't run. <laughs> I mean, like, I run my mouth. That is the kind of running that I do. I do not run. Um, and so I really had to ask people, like, tell me about running. Like, tell me what that's like. Because some people, like, do it for fun. I don't know why. If that's you, you're amazing. Kudos. If you run for fun, hey, I, I love it. So my husband was a, a short distance runner, so I was like picking his brain about things. And when you run short distance, they run their races alone. They know their pacing. They know their timing. They just got to hit their mark. They have a 100-yard dash. They got to get there, and that's it. And they're very quick, and they're very fast. Long-distance runners run in a pack. And they do that because they need each other for pacing. So if you ever see a long distance running team, they're out like they're running together in a pack and someone is always at the front and they are removing the wind resistance. I was gonna say that they're breaking the wind, <laughs> but that didn't work either. <laughs> Gotta stay away from those words. But they are removing the wind resistance. And see ladies, you're not running alone. You're running in a pack. Look around you. Look around you. Look who you came with. Who sits at your side? Who cries with you? Who prays for you? You're in a pack. 
And you know who is blocking and removing the wind resistance for us? Jesus. The greatest of the greatest runners of all time. His life was a race. And he came to this earth to experience all the things that you and I experience. And the Bible tells us that we have someone who can sympathize with us. Why does he sympathize? Because he knows. He understands. And Jesus is like, trust me. Let me break the wind resistance for you. Let me clear the path. Just don't stop running. That fateful day in 1986 left me separated from my earthly pack. But I was not separated from my heavenly pack. At 11, I learned that God is really, really near to the brokenhearted. Like super close. Have you thought about that? Like how much closer are you to God when you're feeling good and everything in life is terrific? And when you're suffering and your heart is in a million pieces. God is available and he is present. And in an innocent and really childlike way, God became my lifeline. And at that age, I didn't understand theology. I didn't know any of that. I knew there was a Bible. I knew there was a God. I knew there was a Trinity. Like, I knew bits and pieces of who God was. So I didn't understand how to dig into my Bible and pull out all these golden treasures of knowledge. And you know what? Some of us never even get to that point. But we know that God is still good. We know that his word is true. And we can find people who speak into those things. I understood enough to place my trust in Philippians 1.6. But he who began a good work in you, in me, would be faithful to complete it. God doesn't know how to not be faithful. I clung with all my might to the belief that Romans 8.28 had to be true. See, because my survival depended on the fact that the words in this book were true. Romans 8.28 tells us that all things would work out for my good. I understand the depth of that now in a profound way. You see, I couldn't be here today to tell my story if that wasn't my story. I couldn't speak to lots of kids who've lost their parent and be like, hey, I've been there. It stinks but you will make it to the other side. I couldn't understand for those who long for home when home doesn't exist, how to be able to sit with them in their pain. But God did that in his grace through my own suffering. And because I attended a Christian school, the Bible was every, a part of my everyday life. And what really began to transform my heart was music. There is nothing that can touch you like a, a worship song. Have you been there? Like you hear a song. I saw some of you guys last night. Like even me, I was like, don't break down. <laughs> this is not the place for the ugly cry. No one wants to see that. But it is the place. When the Holy Spirit is moving within you, listen, give in. Don't hold out. 
He has something there for you. Run to it and be like, okay, Lord, I'm here. Break it down. And so I began to listen to all of these worship songs. And does anybody here know who Sandy Patty is? Okay, thank you. Thank you for making me feel good. So Sandy Patty became like my spiritual director. Her songs, I would just put, play them on repeat on cassettes. You know, you had to, anyways. It's an old thing. Sorry, it's, it's an old thing. But so the, these cassettes and these songs, and she taught me that Jesus was the shepherd of my heart. That one day I would behold him. That he walked with me. And those words began to be life in my heart. And they began to make God become more real to me. And they ministered to me in a way that I couldn't find for myself. So there was one song someone had given me a cassette. And it was called Dare to Run. And I thought, I hadn't thought about it in like 25 years. And one night as I was writing this up, I'm not kidding, in my sleep, the words... I know that sounds really weird, but in my sleep, the Lord spoke to me, and the words that were dormant in my mind came, came to, um, to me, and they are up here, if you could see them a little bit. And these are the words to that song. It says, dare to run with our eyes fixed on Jesus, following the footsteps of the one who's gone before us. Dare to run in the power of his spirit, called to be victors in a race already won. Dare to run. First of all, do any of you know that song? Okay. I can't find a single person who knows that song. So I don't know. <laughs> no, you don't want that. <laughs> she said, I have to sing it. You don't, you don't want to hear that. But dare to run. Do you remember being a kid? What was the biggest thing you could say to someone to get them to do something? I dare you. I dare you. I dare you. I triple dog dare you, right? And that was like gauntlet down, challenge, like we are in it. And I don't know, like I said, what part of the race you're in. Maybe you're just in the warm-up. Maybe you haven't had a personal encounter with Jesus yet. Maybe you haven't asked him into your heart yet. Maybe you're just kind of like tiptoeing in the waters and he's calling you and you're like, mm, not yet. I'm not ready. Or maybe you're in that 5K and you're like, I'm starting to get tired. I, I, I'm hitting my, I, I don't know where we're going. Is it almost there? I can't see the markers. Or maybe you're on mile 497. And you're bent over and your side hurts and you want to throw up. But I'm going to tell you, don't stop. Dare to run the race that you have been called to run. Because it looks different for each of us. I remember so vividly encouraging my teenage self with those words challenging myself to press on. I looked up the book after the morning after, and I, like, Googled it. I'm like, everything's on Google. So I looked it up. Y'all, it's on Amazon. It's really expensive, but you could totally find this cassette on Amazon. And there are th um, th two songs after it. So there's a total of three songs. 
after Dare to Run. And they're in alphabetical order, but there is no, in my mind as I saw it, you know sometimes you just see God work, there is no mistaking why these three songs are together. It is Dare to Run, Destined to Win, and Find Us Faithful. Those three things, those three things are necessary to run the race because you've already been given the victory. It's yours. It's secure. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything but be like, yep, that is mine. That is my victory because Jesus says it's my victory. Nobody could take that away from you. And find us faithful. The only thing you have to do is to be faithful to get to it. Because it's there. You just got to get there. As I got older, I began to understand the truth behind the simplicity of the words. I was able to see the Bible in tangible examples of people living lives of endurance. And I want us all to walk away from here knowing that we can keep going. That our suffering matters. Girls, it matters to God. Your suffering matters to him. Not one of your tears is wasted. Not one. He sees them all. And that in a way and in a place of uncertainty, your story will bring God glory. It really will. That's the whole purpose of our lives, is to bring God glory. We're made in his image. We are a classic reflection of who he is. So then our story matters. Not only do we reflect him, but everything he does in us is a direct reminder of pointing back to him. So as I navigated these four um, these, all of these steps, I came up with not faithful, okay, just arts. I want to talk about some four tangible steps that we can use to run our race, to build up some endurance, and to get us to where God is calling us to be. So the first one is approach. And you have, um, if you don't have a worksheet, there's some on the table over here. Um, I left some blank spaces so you can use them for your notes. And then on the right side of that, I left some questions for you. So you can meditate on those after you leave, maybe today during free time, maybe tonight, maybe when you get back home. But I'd love to invite you to meditate on some of those things. So approach. Approaching requires admitting that we have a need for him. See, I can't approach Jesus without saying, Jesus, I need you. It demands that we set our pride aside and embrace our neediness. Have you ever been called needy? How does that feel? That doesn't have a very positive connotation, does it? But you know what? We're needy. We need Jesus. I'll be the first one to be like, God, like, I don't have nothing. Like, I need you. You better figure it out. Right quick and in a hurry, because I, I need you. <laughs> like, I'm drowning here. And Jesus is calling us to come to, to him. And I would say, run to him. Like, don't be like, okay, Lord, okay, here we go. No, like, cling arms around the legs. Like, if you have little ones, you know when they need you, they're, like, clinging to your leg, and you're, like, dragging them on the side. And that's what we need to do to Jesus. He's up for it. He's there for it all. 
even though he knows all of the things in our hearts, there's this beautiful approach of he wants to hear you say it. Because when you say it, you admit that something's going on. You know, wait, if there's a teachers in here and you ask a child to repeat back to you, what did, what did I say? Why? Because it knows that they heard you, right? You know that they heard you. In the story, I have some scripture up on the, on the, uh, behind me on the screen. And I'm not going to go through it all because it would take up a lot of time. But I love the story of the two women that are up there. The woman with the flow of blood and Mary Magdalene. And they both approached Jesus in two different ways. But they approached him. In a historical time where women had very little value. In a time when they didn't approach men in that way, much less a rabbi. The woman with the flow of blood, the Bible story tells us that she had tried everything. Everything. Have you tried everything? Have you tried everything else and then you're like, well, Jesus, like, here we are. You're the last straw. And that's okay. That is really, it is okay. Because he's like, good, now I have your attention. Because you know that none of that works. I don't recommend it. Like, take him first. If you haven't tried anything yet, start with Jesus. He won't disappoint you. But she approaches him having tried any, everything. And she's like, if. I can just touch the hem of his coat. Think about the boldness. Her situation caused her to be unclean. Okay? That uncleanness didn't allow for her to worship God in the temple. It didn't allow her to be around other people because by virtue of her uncleanness, they would now be unclean too. So it kept her out of the marketplace. It kept her out of community. It kept her isolated and alone. And there is no other place that Satan wants you than to be isolated and alone and cut off from your people and cut off from the Lord. Her boldness in touching Jesus would make him unclean. Do you ever think about that? It would make him unclean. But it wouldn't. But it wouldn't. And she touches the hem of his robe. And he stops. And here he is, the all-knowing God. Who touched me? Can you imagine? I would have been mortified. I would have been like, I have no idea. But I feel real good right now, and I'm going home. I'm going. I'm leaving. I have no idea. But she was like, I did. And immediately she could feel that she was healed. But it took her approaching him. It took her abandoning everything everyone had ever told her. You're unclean. You're not good enough. You're out of community. You're isolated. You're lonely. She's like, I don't care. I need him. I need him for my survival. Maybe that's where you're at today. 
Mary Magdalene's story is very similar. She didn't have the best reputation. Her race was pretty heinous. What she had in the oil that she broke on Jesus' feet, where did the money come to buy that? Where did the money come from to buy that? From her illicit job. And Jesus received her. And Jesus forgave her. And even the Pharisee was like, well, if he was God, he would know who that woman is. Jesus is like, I know who that woman is. And I love her. And I call her my own. And she is now mine. Both Mary and the woman with the flow of blood had a desperate need for Jesus. And they were willing to approach him in whatever circumstances, with how much or how little they had. They were willing to approach and say, God, come into my weariness. God, come into my pain. Come into my suffering. And did he push them away? No. He tells the woman, daughter, he immediately gives her an identity as his child. And that's your identity today. That is your identity in that he loves you. And he calls you daughter. And when he sees you, he's like, that's my girl. She's doing good. Or that's my girl. She's struggling today. But that's okay. I'm going to pick her up and I'm going to hold her. And I'm going to give her everything that she needs. So she can keep going. So approach. The next, next thing is rest. When we're running, it feels like forever and you're exhausted. And the only thing that we want to do is rest. And I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at resting. I told you I like to run my mouth and I don't know when to stop. But just like my mouth runs, my brain runs. And I lay in bed, and I think, and I think, and I think. Hmm. Jesus didn't just command in, the, in, in Exodus, like, take a Sabbath. Doesn't say that we were made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us. Because he knew that we needed to rest and every time I read a book that talks about the Sabbath, it kind of makes me mad because I always think this really snarky thought. This book was written by a man. He has a woman to do all the things for him. He doesn't cook. He doesn't clean. He doesn't work. He doesn't raise kids. So, of course, he's going to rest. <laughs> he has time for it. It's true. I could tell you the specific book that gives me that thought, but I won't <laughs> in case you've read it. Um, anyways, so it makes me angry, but it makes me angry because... I have a problem. I don't know how to rest. I don't know how to let go of things. Because sometimes I think that if I have it in my hand, it'll get done. That's not what Jesus wants. And I've learned over time some moments of rest. While I may not be able to rest 24 hours, I've learned that maybe I can go outside and catch my breath for five minutes and focus on the Lord. See, rest isn't sitting watching a movie while scrolling on your phone. That's not rest. It's not rest. 
Um, it's not just scrolling through your phone. My kids call it dead scrolling. Like you're just like constantly, and before you know it, 45 minutes have passed. <sighs> what a waste of time, and I do it all the time. That's not resting. Rest that Jesus calls us to is saying, Lord, can I hear your voice right now? Lord, can you fill me with your peace right now? God, my heart is anxious right now. Can I give you this? Bless you. There is a book uh, called Stick a Geranium in Your Hat and Be Happy. If you've ever read it, it's, um, it's an older book. And um, the woman who writes the book, I needed to look her up. I can't remember what her name is. I always forget. Pat. Is it Patsy Claremont? I, I, don't, I, I don't know. It's one of the women of faith, but that doesn't matter. She tells the story about um, putting all of your cares in a box, like a gift box, and giving it to the Lord and putting it at his feet. And then what do you do? What do you think would happen if you put all your cares in a box and you gave them to the Lord and you put them at his feet? What do you think the next logical step is? Rest? Let it go? What else? Take it back out? Yeah. She says, I sit on the box. I sit on the box and I'm like, how much time, Lord? Are you ready with my stuff, Lord? I got a lot of stuff in here, Lord. I'm just going to sit here and kind of oversee. That's not rest. That's not giving him all the things. That's you taking control. That's you making Jesus do what you want him to do. And that's not what he does. He says in Philippians, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, it's so, this is, passage is so final, right? There's no room. There's no room for anything added. Be anxious for nothing. What does nothing mean? Nothing. But in everything, what is everything? Everything by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. And, and it says, if you do all of those things, then what happens? The peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. So maybe you're here, and that's what God is calling you to do. He's calling you to rest. He's calling you to say, okay, Lord, I surrender. Psalm 23, if you've ever looked at Psalm 23, there's a progression. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I will want for nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That word make sometimes sounds forceful, but it's not. Think about it. Come on. Lay down. It's okay. I've got watch. Rest. He leads me beside the quiet waters. Because see, when you are rested, you can refuel. You're not too, have you ever been too tired to eat? Yeah. But you're not too tired to take a drink. Because the shepherd has allowed you to rest. And that's what Jesus is inviting you into. Whatever leg of the race you're on. Would you rest in him? Would you look for ways 
to not be anxious and deposit all of those things on him and give him everything in prayer. Let me ask you this. How's your prayer life? doesn't have to be fancy. I always thought when I heard people like, how's your prayer life? Oh, I pray for four hours, and I have a prayer journal. And hey, if you do all those things, kudos to you. That is not me. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work for me because I don't think like that. But you could dedicate five minutes in your morning to step outside and feel the sunshine on your face and invite Jesus into what we're going to do today. Maybe first thing when you wake up, I was reading a book called It's All Under Control, and she says, when I wake up, instead of giving God my to-do list, maybe I should be like, God, how, what are we doing today? What do you have for me today? What divine appointments have you curated that I need to be at? This awareness of him in our everyday brings rest. The next thing is trust. Jesus calls us to trust him. We can totally, definitely, most ultimately trust his promises. Can you think of a time when God has failed you? And I'm not talking about when he did something that you didn't want him to do. You see, God allowing my mom to die wasn't God failing me. It was God calling me. Him not healing her wasn't a failure to her because he did heal her in heaven. Has God failed you? Maybe in your mind and in your heart, he has. I invite you to churn the soil around that. Maybe, I, I think Julie said last night, maybe you're angry at God. Maybe that's part of your race and that anger to God is causing you to run with a backpack full of rocks. And that's something that would be good to investigate and good to remove. Think about telling God, like, hey, I'm really upset. He already knows, one. Remember, he wants us to say it verbally, out loud. I'm really upset with you. Will you help me understand? And if you don't help me understand, will you help me be at peace? Will you help me want you more than what I want? Bless you. Will you help me want your will and not my own? Trust. Our world has a really good way of bringing us down, right? Like, look, a return on the news. It's glorious here. There's no Wi-Fi. And so, like, you're super disconnected from the real world. I mean, who knows? The, I mean, everything could, this could be it. This could be all that's left. Um, I'm just kidding. It's probably not. I don't know. I don't have Wi-Fi. But um, the world has a way to bring us down and to point out all our negative things and to tell us all the things that we're doing wrong and to make us compete with one another and to make us look like we're losing the race and they're somehow winning the race and they don't even know Jesus. And why am I suffering? You don't even know Jesus. That's why I look so much better. No, that's a lie from the enemy. 
even though we live in a broken world, the race is ours. Remember I told you the race has already been won? It has been won. Jesus tells us, I have overcome the world. Don't worry about it. I've already claimed the victory. We just had Easter Sunday. Is he in that grave? No. He has secured the victory for us. I love the book of Isaiah. And even though um, that book is written to the Israelites, there are some great truths and goodness about who God is in that book. And in Isaiah 41, he says, fear not, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed. I'm your God. They talked about the Baals yesterday and about the, the false gods and how they were prone to worship them. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Did you know that if you fall, when you're running in a race and you fall, that no one can come and pick you up? Sideline people cannot come and pick you up. They cannot enter the race. Who do you think can pick you up? Another racer. Another runner can pick you up. Another runner can get help for you. And then, of course, like EMTs can come and get you and all of that. But if it gets to that point for me, it would get to that point. But only another runner can pick you up. So when Jesus says, I will uphold you with my right hand, he's running with you, girls. He's running with us. He's like, go ahead. If you fall, I've got you. I will pick you up. I will run for both of us. I will keep you on pace. He upholds us with his right hand. Isaiah 40, 28 says, have you not known? Don't you know? Didn't you hear the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? He doesn't faint. He doesn't get weary. His side doesn't hurt. He doesn't get winded. He gives power. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Think about an area of your life where you feel like you have no power. Where you have no might. The Lord is like, it's okay, baby girl, because I'm going to increase your strength. Would you trust me? Would you come to me? Will you rest in me? I want to renew you. Would you allow me? Jesus is such a gentleman, isn't he? He's not like, listen, Susan, we're doing this. That's not Jesus. Jesus is like, would you? Can you? Will you? I'm here. Will you? And for those of you who are in the room who lead other people, look at verse 11. If, and I'm in First um, Peter 4, verse 11. It says, if anyone ministers, let him or her do it as with the ability which God supplies that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus. I don't know who you serve. 
And I don't know why I included that verse, because someone in here might need to hear that. That was super last-minute addition. But don't serve in your own strength. It will only get you so far. Serve in God's strength. Let him speak through you. Don't you speak for him. I always say God doesn't need a PR person. He doesn't. He's good. He needs to just just live your life reflecting him. Just speak his truth. He'll take care of the rest. You're not in charge of changing hearts. He is. But we can lead the way. Right? Do it in the ability which God supplies. So we have approach. We have rest. We have trust. And to me, this is the most important one. And that is the one of surrender. I think that of all the things that I mentioned, surrender is the hardest. We surrender our lives to Christ when we invite him into our hearts. And yet we like to take back control. You see, we can't approach. We can't rest. We can't trust our Savior fully until we're surrendered. We have to surrender our minds. We have to surrender our schedules. And we have to surrender our wills. Have any of you heard the song, In Christ Alone? It says, what heights of love, what depth of peace, when fears are stilled and striving ceases. Strivings cease. Are you striving? See, much of our weariness comes from fear and striving. We want more, so we work more. We fear the unknown, so we worry more. Well, if I can control this. What did she say yesterday when she was talking? I was like, ooh, I'm going to talk about that a little bit tomorrow. We try to control, and she talked about the wheel, and then if you flip it on its side, it becomes this funnel. And that's exactly it. We control, and we start grasping at straws like you're falling, and you're just grasping to whatever you can hold on to to just get some, some grounding, right, to catch your hands. And that's what we do when we're afraid and when we're stressed and we're like, God, I don't know what's going on, but I can control onto this. And so I'm going to latch onto this. And sometimes we like latch onto the weirdest, oddest things, but they make us feel safe. And we all want to feel safe. And there's no safety in knowing what's coming down the line and not knowing. There's no safety in going, I don't know what's going to happen with this diagnosis. But there is safety if you give it to God. Because while you might still be worried, that's the truth. I'm not going to stand here and say, like, yep, I never worry. Jeez, oh, I wear it like a jacket. You'll still worry, but it can be a holy worry. God, I'm concerned. Would you help my concern? God, I'm worried. Would you give me peace? Remind me that you've got it all in control. We want to meld sometimes every possible situation. But Jesus is calling us to give him all the worry. 
He wants all of our best laid plans. He wants your goals. He wants your dreams. He wants those really full plates that you carry. And he invites us to approach him and trust him. And because of that trust, we can find rest, true, true rest for our minds and our hearts. And we can have this chorus repeat in our mind, my comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ, I stand. Not here in the love of Christ, I'm defeated. Not here in the love of Christ, I'm wounded and my side is like hurts really bad with a cramp. No, here in the love of Christ, I stand. I stand firm, knowing that Jesus is holding me up. I want to review these last two slides really quickly. First Peter 5, 10. I'm going to read this 5, 6 through 10. And then we're going to look a little bit. I'm going to give you some time to look at the race that you are running. Bless you. First Peter 5, 6 through 10. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood and sisterhood in the world. You see, surrender takes a few things. It takes humility. You have to admit there's a problem. And maybe not even admitting there's a problem Just admit that you need help. We all need help. We all need Jesus. We have to turn it over and give it to him. I don't know if you've ever heard the story about the little girl and the pearls. And she saved all her nickels and dimes and she went to the dollar store and she bought a really pretty pearl necklace. And of course it was fake. It was from the dollar store. And she wore it every single day. And her daddy loved her so much that he thought, you know what? I'm going to buy her a real pearl necklace. And so he went to the store after a few months of her wearing it every day. And he bought her a pearl necklace, real, honest-to-goodness pearls. And he went to her one day right before bedtime, and he's like, Baby, I want you to give me your pearls. Will you give them to me? No. These are my pearls. I bought them. I went to the store, Daddy, and I saved, and I bought them, and they're mine. And he's like, but I have a gift that I will give you for the pearls. No, Daddy, you can't have my pearls. These are mine. See, they fit really good on me. And behind his hand, behind his his back, Dad is holding a real strand of pearls that she can't see. But if she trusted him enough, 
she would get something so much better in return. But she clung to her pearls like they were the queen's jewels. Yet her dad was saying, I've got the real thing here. It's good. And I wonder what pearls we're holding on to in our lives that we're like, nope, I've earned these. These are mine. I fought for these. You can't have this, Lord. This is my kid. This is my husband. This is my sister. This is, these are my people, and you can't have them because I don't know what you're going to do with them. But Jesus is like, but honey, I have something better for you. I'll trade you. Turn it over. And then we need awareness to understand what those things are that we don't want to release. We need awareness about what's working around us to attack us, to steal from us our joy, our peace, all of the things that are toxic that are just pulling us down. Being aware that our adversary would like nothing more than to take us out. And then hope. See, you're not alone. You're running in a pack. Jesus is breaking the wind resistance. And the race has been won. We have hope. Would you pray with me? God, I'm so grateful for the life of Christ. Thank you because you saw that we needed a Savior. You saw that we needed a Savior and you sent your Son from glory to live a life, God, that we could not live, to pay a debt that we could never pay. You redeemed us, you restored us, and you call us your daughters, and you're standing before us today saying, I have something good for you. Would you trust me? Lord, I don't know the journeys in this room, but you do. I don't know who you're calling to what, but you do. God, would you make it very clear today and this weekend? Would they have a divine encounter with you? Would we meet you here in this place where your spirit floods our whole area, Lord? Would the Holy Spirit move within us? Would we learn to approach you? Would we learn to rest in you? Would we learn to trust you with that which we cannot do? And would we surrender? We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.